Back in the 1970s when I was a boy, there was a huge UFO craze. Alleged UFO sightings were often on the news, and there were a few TV series devoted to the subject of extraterrestrials visiting the Earth and flying saucers and such. And in the midst of all that, a Bible scholar published a book in which he claimed that maybe the strange visions in the first part of the book of Ezekiel were Ezekiel's encounter with a UFO and with aliens from another world. It was an odd theory to advance, but when you look at what Ezekiel describes, you have to admit that it is itself downright odd and bizarre. Well, today on Groundwork, we begin a series on this strange and sometimes difficult book. Stay tuned. Welcome to Groundwork, where we dig into scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Daryl Delaney. And I'm Scott Jose. Uh, and Daryl, we're starting a new series with this program today. It's going to look at the book of Ezekiel, a five-part series. A book, Daryl, that's one part narrative, and then there are also a lot of what the genre of apocalyptic is in this uh, book as well. So in apocalyptic literature, you see there's these fantastical visions and yep. powerful signs it's really interesting when people try to interpret those that they come up with a variety of different conclusions. Um, but the good news is when we dig into scripture and we allow it to speak to us, we can learn something about what God has to say to his people. And he's going to use Ezekiel as a visual reminder in more a very literal way. So we think of prophets, you just said he's going to be a visual reminder. That's true in Ezekiel's case, because what he acts out, what he's going to do physically sometimes is just as important important as the words he speak. We usually think of a prophet preaching, but as we're going to see, Ezekiel does a lot of acting out as well. But as we get going, let's set the stage just briefly the first program of this series. Near as we can tell, Ezekiel, he was born in the kingdom of Judah. That's the southern kingdom of Israel. We often kind of use Judah and Israel synonymously, but technically he was in the southern kingdom of Judah. We think he was born around 627 BC, and that in the ancient Near East, uh, Darrell, was a time of a lot of unrest. So we have in the southern kingdom, Babylon is coming through to take over and exile the people of Judah, the people of Israel. We're going to interchange them, so don't be nervous right. about that. When we say Israel, we're talking about God's children in mass. And then Judah is a specific place where Ezekiel was called to prophesy. But not only do they have these political unrest, Scott, we have spiritual unrest as well. That's exactly right. So King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he sets his sights on Israel. He's uh like most kings in that time, interest in conquest, wants to make his territory bigger. So he conquers Israel, but as you just said, the reason for that happening is the spiritual mess in Israel. And anybody who knows the history of Israel's kings, both in the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, after the time of Solomon, when the kingdom split, didn't matter really if you were in the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, king after king after king dumped God's laws, broke God's covenant, let people engage in idolatry and Baal worship, uh, mistreated the poor. And yet, Daryl, despite all of that really obvious gross disobedience of God, Israel thought God was on their side, and they, they couldn't be touched. The people of Judah thought God is our chum. It's what commentator Daniel Block called Israel's house of pride. They were just sure God was on their side, and nothing can hurt them. So what we know about that history is that Israel 
came into what is a vicious cycle of disobedience to God and trying to run back to God and have God clean up the mess they made. And then they go back and forth and back and forth into the point where they literally rebel against God and they don't come back. And so they really forgotten the law that they had promised that they would follow that was given to them by Moses in Deuteronomy. And he literally says, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you disobey me, you'll be cursed and you'll be driven into other nations. And they've forgotten that. And that's what Ezekiel is trying to show them, that they can't keep God as a a lucky charm or a rabbit's foot or a, a lucky number or whatnot to keep their relationship with him just as a proximity thing. We're close to him. He's ours. And nothing's going to happen to us. How wrong they were, Scott. And it's Ezekiel's job to tell them that. But let's now go to chapter one. And here's how it all begins. On the fifth month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Bozai, by the Kabar River in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of the Lord was on him. And Ezekiel says, I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. And their faces looked like this. Each one of the four had the face of a human being on the right side, and then the face of a lion, and on the left side, the face of an ox, and each had the face of an eagle. And as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance of the structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. And as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheel did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. Uh, As you can see, Scott, Ezekiel is having a very hard time trying to describe what this vision is. He says there's an appearance of this. It kind of looks like that. And he is literally struggling to try to put into words what this vision means. And he's really having a hard time, Scott. The original Hebrew scholars who know Hebrew better than me said it's a little bit of a hot mess because, indeed, I think— It blew his mind. (laughs) But when you step back, most commentators say what Ezekiel is seeing is the throne chariot of God. And it is absolutely astonishing to see. And the fact that it has a wheel intersecting a wheel means that it can go any place. Uh, It's an allusion to what I think is the omnipresence of God Mm. and the power and the glory and the splendor of who he is. This is the creator of the universe who is literally displaying himself to his creation. And it is a picture of a God who's not tame or safe. No, And so the function of this uh, wild vision uh, isn't just to be wild for wildness sake. It's to tell Israel, look, you think you've got Yahweh in your back pocket. Uh-uh. This is who God is. And the power and the splendor and the transcendence is mind-blowing indeed. And this, I think, there was meant to shake Israel up to say, boy, we were wrong. If, if that's who God is, yeah, he's not our lucky charm. He's not under our control. Right. This is the awesome God. This is where the book begins. 
he has this wonderful vision of God and shows how mighty God is. But we also are going to see in the next segment where God is getting Ezekiel ready for the message. So stay tuned. What does it look like to honor and serve God in your marriage and family? Visit FamilyFire.com to discover how you can better live out your faith in the context of your relationships. At FamilyFire.com, you'll find articles and devotions curated to encourage you to stoke the Holy Spirit's flame in your home. You'll also find an online community that can help you explore what it means to follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your family as a spouse, parent, or even an in-law. Join the community and be encouraged at FamilyFire.com. I'm Scott Jose, along with Gerald Delaney, and you're listening to Groundwork and this first episode in a five-part series on the prophetic book and the apocalyptic book of Ezekiel. Daryl, we just looked at chapter one, and it's literally mind-blowing, mind-numbing vision of the throne chariot of God, which uh, was so spectacular, Ezekiel could hardly describe it. And we just said that the reason that is the way this book begins was to shake Israel up to say, look, you think you've had God in your back pocket. You think God's been under your control. Look at who God really is. He is awesome and not your pet. (laughs) It's beautiful to be reminded, and sometimes it is humbling to be reminded that God is transcendent and that he is not just going to be eminently in our little world and doing the things that we think he should do. In our finitude, we think we can control God and limit God, but we realize God is much bigger. And Ezekiel gets this vision to be reminded, and Israel should be reminded as well, that he's, he's big and he's huge. But then... And, you know, when you think about how people get their calls to ministry, we often ask that question a lot. How did you get called into ministry? We're expecting to hear something that will be encouraging, reassuring. But this isn't what Ezekiel is uh, feeling at this point in the chapter. Now, in fact, we're going to uh, jump ahead a little bit, and then we'll backfill. So we just uh, were looking in chapter one. We'll get to chapter two, but uh, Daryl, let's jump ahead a little bit to the middle of chapter three to find out how Ezekiel is feeling after God calls him. Okay, picking up at verse 12, it says, Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of the Lord rose from the place where it was standing. It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other, and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. The Spirit then lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of the Lord on me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kibar River and there where they were living. I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. So here's a call story that doesn't end happily or with somebody saying, nah, you know, I've just ever since the Lord called me, I've just been blessed and blessed upon blessing to serve the Lord. Nope. He's bitter. He's in distress. And when it's all finished, he, he just sits silent for a week because of what God said to him. So the nature of Ezekiel's call is what made him end up like this. It's really powerful that God would give him this overwhelming call. I think the call of any ministry is overwhelming. Mm. Whether you're going into the pulpit or you're going into the office, it can be overwhelming. And Ezekiel is angry because of what God says to him in chapter two. He said to me, son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. 
As he spoke, the spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me, and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for there are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. I always figure that if God has to tell you that often not to be afraid, <laughs> there's probably a really good reason to actually be afraid. Yeah. But two main themes are coming into focus here, Daryl. One is that Israel is Judah, right? The southern kingdom of Judah, Israel is rebellious. It's like a proverbial broken record. Israel, the people of Judah, Ezekiel's people are a rebellious house. They've drifted so far from God that they're not going to understand a word Ezekiel says to them. In fact, just a little bit earlier in chapter 3, God says that they're so far from the truth that now hearing the truth is going to be like hearing a different language. God says this in verse 4, then God said to me, son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they're not willing to listen to me, for all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate. You know, so, so God is basically saying, you know what, if I sent you to the Phoenicians— and it gave you a translator, they'd have a better shot at understanding my word than Israel because it's not a language barrier. You speak the same language, Ezekiel. It's a barrier of hearts and minds. You know what's crazy, Scott, is that when rebellion sets in, it dumbs down your senses. Mm. It makes you deaf. It makes your heart hard. It makes you not want to feel. It makes you want to do the things that are opposite of what God wants you to do. This isn't, oops, I did it again. This is a literal premeditated, we're going to do this whether God loves it or not, which is why God continues to point out the fact that they're rebellious and obstinate. And that's why bitterness and not joy, uh, anger and not happiness is what floods Ezekiel's soul at the conclusion of his call. God isn't calling Ezekiel to success, but to faithfulness. But the faithfulness, again, God has to keep telling him, don't be afraid. But I think he probably is a little bit anyway. We're going to, before we close out this episode, we'll ponder a little bit more what all this means um, today. But just for now, Daryl, I think we can note that we maybe can't identify with Ezekiel, most of us, but we can maybe identify with the people to whom Ezekiel preached and prophesied. And I think we can all admit that none of us is happy if we sense that uh, there's a challenging word from God and it's being directed to us, right? I right. mean, when if that happens in a sermon, 
in my experience, maybe yours too, I don't know, but in my experience, if somebody senses in a sermon that they're being challenged, that's the sermon they're probably going to criticize the minister for. Oh, yeah. Uh, they're not going to say, wow, that really cut me to the heart. I got to change. They're going to say, no, pastor, I think you were too political today or, 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 or you were expressing your own opinion. Don't do that in the pulpit. Being led to repentance doesn't happen real fast for any of us. Well, in West Michigan, people will lightly push back by sending you an email or having a coffee with you to try to explain why, where you went wrong in your sermon. But it really takes great humility in the walk of discipleship to receive a word and say, maybe I need to change something. In any event, as we close out this program of Ezekiel, we'll see a memorable image as to how God gets his word across. So stay tuned. We're glad you've joined our Groundwork Conversation. If you're enjoying today's discussion and want to download or listen again, you can find the audio podcast and transcript for this episode on our website, groundworkonline.com. Want to dig deeper? You can also find episode guides and blogs available to supplement your study. Curious about another episode or series we've mentioned? Search our episode library to find hundreds of conversations about God's Word and what it means for God's people today. Add your voice to our Groundwork conversation by visiting groundworkonline.com. And thank you. Support from listeners like you makes Groundwork possible. You're listening to Groundwork, where we're digging into Scripture to lay the foundation for our lives. I'm Scott Jose. And I'm Daryl Delaney. And Daryl, let's dig right back into Scripture and read these opening words from Ezekiel 3. We've been bebopping around a little bit in Ezekiel 2 and 3, but now let's go to the beginning of 3. And he said to me, God said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat the scroll I'm giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. It's really uh, interesting contrast based on what we were talking about in the last segment, Scott, where he's got this bitterness and he's got this anger, but this scroll, which is filled with God's word, is sweet to the taste which, which refers to me to how good God's word is, even though it may make you feel bitter, even though it may make you feel upset, the word is still a good word, and it's from a good God. Yep. And this way of getting God's word inside you has, is used elsewhere in Scripture, too. In fact, there's another passage with another prophet somewhere where he eats the scroll and says, oh, that tastes good. And then a few minutes later, it's like, oh, no, it didn't land in my stomach right at all. Um, I think it's is, in Revelation. This, yeah, this is churning in my stomach now. But this is a, a vivid way to get across the idea that a prophet is literally filled with the word of God. And that's what God wants for Ezekiel. But even though, as you just said, Daryl, even though it was sweet in his mouth, at the end of the call, as we just saw, Ezekiel himself is bitter and he's angry. And he sits silent for seven whole days, right? Now, at the end of that week, what happens? Then the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. He spoke to me and said, Go shut yourself inside your house. And you, son of man, they will tie with ropes. You will be bound so that you cannot go out among the people. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth so that you will be silent and unable to rebuke them, for they are a rebellious people. But when I speak to you, then I will open your mouth, and you shall say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. Whoever will listen, let them listen, 
and whoever will refuse, let them refuse, for they are a rebellious people. Again, like a broken record. They're rebellious. They're right. rebellious. But this is all rather strange. He sits silent for a week. Then God gets him up on his feet and says, now go in your house and be silent there for a while. They're going to tie you up. Uh, your your tongue's going to stick to the roof of your mouth. But then eventually I'm going to speak. Um, so it's, there's a lot of back and forth here, and it can be a little bit confusing if you're uh, just kind of reading it. But the point being, when Ezekiel speaks, God is all but telegraphed. This isn't going to go well. Right. They're not going to listen. The prophet Ezekiel is not judged by whether the people respond well. Right. He's judged by the obedience of the call, saying what God needs to say. And even even if they listen or fail to listen, that comes up as a refrain as well. It is the challenge of obedience for the messenger of God's word, whether that person gets a lot of converts or whether people hear it or not. I don't think Ezekiel had one convert in his ministry, entire yeah. ministry. But the point is that he was obedient to what God called him to do. And that was the main goal. He was faithful, uh, even though it's going to cost him a lot in the end. So that's what the beginning, the setup of the book of Ezekiel is, this grand, grand vision. And then this call, even though God says they're not going to, they're rebellious. And then eating the scroll and then getting ready to speak. He really hasn't spoken yet. I mean, we're three chapters in. He really hasn't said anything yet, uh, but we're getting ready. And as we'll see in the next program, there will be a series of sort of acted out skits almost uh, once he gets moving. So that's Ezekiel, but a lot of us maybe don't identify with the prophet. But as we said at the end of the last segment in this program, we maybe can identify with the receivers of a prophetic word and then the question is, are we today able to receive the truth? The truth has become a subjective opinion. Mm. And whoever has the loudest opinion, then that means they're the most truthful. So I don't believe what you're saying and you don't believe what I'm saying. I might not have a conversation with you. I might get adamant and go online and post something or I might get it from my favorite media stream or whatever. It's interesting how truth has degenerated into whatever, whoever has the loudest or most passionate opinion, when there really is a standard of truth that we should be following, it comes from God. And when I was in seminary uh, in the 80s and we studied uh, what's called postmodernism, one of the main things we looked at was, yeah, this thoroughgoing relativism. Everything's up in the air. Everything's up for grabs. Uh, what's true for me doesn't have to be true for you. And the church was pretty good at criticizing that, right? That was kind of obvious. Like, oh, there's no such thing as objective truth. Uh, most Christians didn't fall for that. But there's been this almost politicization of truth, right? This And this has crept into the church. Church, um, and we've seen it uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic uh, in recent years. People have had different ideas and different truths uh, by which they operated and has divided congregations. It's crushed a lot of pastors. It's broken apart even families. So the question is, Daryl, the people of Israel, God said over and over, can't hear the truth anymore. I think it's a little scary to ask, but again, the question comes, can we? I think it's a very important point for us to have a heart examined by God so that we can know, hey, listen, this truth needs to penetrate into my heart. This truth I need to humbly accept 
And even if it's not what I want to hear, it's what I need to hear. But it takes a degree of spiritual maturity to accept criticism in a way that is constructive and to learn from the conviction that the Holy Spirit is trying to bring. That's literally his job to convict us. And God's convicting us because he loves us. But it takes humility to do that. Humility. Yep, that is the key thing. We mentioned earlier a commentator named Daniel Block who's written a good two-volume commentary on Ezekiel, and he said that Israel was deluded because they had, uh, you know, a house of, of, of pride <laughs> and, and had different pillars that held up the house, but they were they were proud. They thought they had God and, and spirituality all sewn up, and a proud heart is a heart that cannot receive the truth of God. You, as you just said, Daryl, humility, having a tender heart. Praying for humility, for openness. I think that's something that we we all need to do. It's a very beautiful thing for us if we are counted among the people who will listen because he's sent the people who will or will not listen, whether they listen or not. We want to be the people who do listen because God has given us hope in his word. Thanks be to God. Thanks for listening and digging deeply into Scripture with Groundwork. We're your hosts, Scott Jose and Daryl Delaney, and we hope you'll join us again next time as we continue our study of this prophetic book of Ezekiel with the messages and signs that God gives Ezekiel to perform for his people in chapters 4 through 6 and 12. Connect with us at groundworkonline.com to share what Groundwork means to you or tell us what you'd like to hear discussed next on Groundwork. Groundwork is a listener-supported program produced by Reframe Ministries. Visit ReframeMinistries.org for more information. Our recording engineer is Dot Morris, and our post-production supervisor is John Reeder. Our senior producer is Courtney Jacob. <laughs>